I would like to introduce Michael McTernan to Fuel the Brave. Michael is the CEO of Voxio, which creates technology using conversational AI to help promote mental health and wellness for its users. Prior to this position, Michael was the CEO at 7th Peer, where he provided strategic advice to companies that were growing or had ambition to grow, while also providing personal coaching and mentoring for business leaders. Michael's resume includes Commercial Director at BMO, Chief Commercial Officer at Red 61, Director of Product Development at STV Commercial, Director of Mobile Strategy at Rank Interactive, CEO at Rapid Mobile. Michael, welcome to Fuel the Brave. Just to start off, can you tell me a bit of information about where you grew up and your childhood? And just to give me an idea of how you think that of any experiences you might have had in your childhood might have impacted how you are now. When I grew up, well, I grew up in Edinburgh. Um, right. And I went to Firhill High School. Right, okay. Which is, a, I think it's quite a good school these days, but when I went there, it was, it was quite a rough place. Um, and I really didn't like school. I, really? I didn't like school. Um, as my daughter likes to point out, um, when we're talking about academic achievement, I left school when I was 16. Um, and I really didn't, um, yeah, I, I really didn't see... I, I guess I just didn't engage with it um, and I wasn't comfortable there. When I look back, I think I, I didn't really, I, I learned in a different way. So right. you know, I, I didn't really fit in in school and that, that, that gave me a problem academically. I mean, that said, you know, I did, I went to, I went to Napier, did electronic engineering right, okay. and I got a degree from Edinburgh University. So it's important to note that, that, where we start doesn't always point to where we might finish. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, how, how, so, so when you came out of school at 16, how did you then eventually go on to, do a, to go to uni? How did that happen? Um, so I, I went to, my dad persuaded me to go to college. Right. Um, and that was, it was a different atmosphere. It was um, the relationship with the, the lecturers rather than teachers was different. Um, and I kind of, I think I just, yeah, I mean, it, it, it took me a while. It took me a couple of years at, at college, but I got the qualifications that, that I needed to, to, to get to uni. And, and yeah, it, it, seemed, it seemed to suit me better. Right. Perhaps it was just I needed the extra time. I don't know, but, but, but that's, that's what happened. So what did you do in between? Did you go straight from school to college and then uni? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah pretty much. Pretty right. much. Yeah. yeah. And you did it electrical engineering? Yeah. Yeah. I went to Napier as well, actually. I did uh, computer science. Oh, cool. um, so I know what you mean. It's completely different in school. Yes. Completely yeah, different yeah. learning environment as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and when I left, when I left Napier, my first job was building robots in the Department of Artificial Intelligence. Right. At Edinburgh University. Okay. So, so that, that'll be how you led on to where you are now with your latest project. Well, it's kind of it's a kind of weird art because I probably didn't touch artificial intelligence in the meantime. Yeah, uh, but it, but it, but it's uh, it's always a it's a kind of it's a nice story to have, and it was a fascinating place to work. Yeah, I mean, we were. I mean, AI back then was pr- pretty basic. Yeah, um, arguably it still is. Right, the, <laughs> the idea that you would have your know, artificial intelligence able to hold this conversation. Is kind of far fetched. Yeah, 
you can do some some very specific things quite well, but broad kind of AI doesn't doesn't really exist. So it was fascinating to to work there. We were, you know, we were doing really simple things like getting robot arms to pick things up. Right. Um, okay. Okay. Um, well, to see them and pick them up, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, and 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 things like that. So a lot of it was there was a lot of, half of it was probably teaching and half of it was research. And a lot of the research was was backed by industry who were eager to use these kinds of technologies um, to cut costs, most, not, most noticeably in, in manufacturing. Yeah, I can imagine. Which is, which is heavily automated now. Yeah. I mean, AI is definitely the future, I think. I mean, when you see, you see where it's going and in the, the, the way that computers are developing, it's quite scary what could actually happen if AI really gets to where you think it might get to. You know, think of Terminator. <laughs> so yeah, people do people do say that to me, but I mean, I, I've got to be clear. I mean, I, I think that 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 we're we're some considerable distance away from that. Um, but could you imagine? Could you imagine a point where you've got an artificial intelligence coding, or you're developing programs? I think I don't think that's that far away because a lot of a lot of what what we do in developing is we take we take code from different places and we put it together yeah. to, to create other programs. So so could an AI do that? Well, maybe not just yet, but maybe maybe it could. So is the is the Terminator real? I think we're I think we're a long long way from 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 that possibility. Mm. But AI is starting to seep into every bit of our lives. I yeah. mean, we're yeah. If you shop on Amazon, you're exposed to AI. Yeah. You know, if, you, uh, if you use Facebook, you're exposed to AI because they're using algorithms to work out what to market to you. Yeah. Um, in the case of Amazon, they're probably working, using algorithms to work out what to sell to you and what price you'll buy it at. So yeah, that's a good point. You could even be saying, like, if I look at a set of batteries, the same set of batteries you look at, you might get them cheaper, cheaper because that's your buying pattern. I might get charged a bit more money because that's my buying plan. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's powerful when you think about where that's going with, with commerce. And I mean, when, I, I think you've seen Boston Dynamics and what they're doing as well with robots. That's that's quite impressive. They've got. I seen one of them was a dog, and it was like walking, you know, quite comfortably. It was opening doors, um, and then they had a. They've got like human sort of drones that can walk by themselves. It's quite it's quite impressive when you see it. I mean, obviously they don't. The actual, I presume that the actual artificial intelligence driving it's probably still got a long way to go. As in, you know, they've probably got a code, a program that's telling them exactly what to do. But if, if it gets to a point, like you say, where they can write their own code, then that would be interesting. I think. Look, I, I'm no expert, right? But 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 as I understand, there's kind of there's, there's two things you could do with artificial intelligence. One is that you can you can you can train an AI to do a specific task. So you'll tell it. Under these circumstances, do this. Under these circumstances, do that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you're very clear about what it can do. Yeah. And the other one is to say, here are some guiding principles. Go and learn. Okay, so Terminator is probably the go and learn one you're scared about. The one that you tell it what to do, probably not so much. I mean, if you go to if you go to the Bay Center in Edinburgh University, um, we were we were based there um, about a year ago as part of the Wire at AI and Blockchain Accelerator. Right. Um, and the downstairs level there, they've got a big lab, which has got glass windows, and you can see. I've seen this. They've got, yeah. got robots, which are, I think one of them's a NASA robot. Yeah, um, the big white um, one. 
It's quite tall. Uh, yeah. It yeah. looks like a, like a person. Yeah. And I was speaking to one of my friends who works in there. And I was like, well, why, why have a humanoid robot? And he said, really, the plan is to, to, is to, is to build robots that could go to the moon or go to Mars and create habitats, build the habitats right. for humans to come. And so you know, a humanoid robot, therefore, can do, you want them to be able to do the things a human can to, to make a human environment. With most, you know, most robots, you wouldn't choose to build them like people. Yeah. You wouldn't necessarily choose because the practicality, if they had a specific application, they might have like caterpillar tracks rather than feet, you know, or, yeah. or whatever works better. Yeah, but yeah, we're 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 sort of veering into things that I kind of know rather than that I actually know. Yeah, talk about. I think it's fascinating though. I do find AI fascinating and where that's going. I mean, I've actually been learning Python recently, and you know, you when you're when you're sitting writing a bit of code and then you're trying to find a solution, you know, it's time consuming, and you know, you're doing the math behind it and everything else. Now, if you like, if you can use AI, like you say, to to solve these problems faster and actually potentially to create their own problems. So to find problems and then create them, that could completely change how we, you know, how we function. That would be interesting to see. There's a really, there's a really nice um, example that someone gave me about where AI works best. Um, and it's this, so, so um, a lot of people talk about the, the ability of AI to, to diagnose things like cancer. Um, Better than better than the majority of, of, of specialists, and I think that the numbers are something like, you know, they're 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 better than most doctors, but not as good as the best doctors. Right. Okay. But actually, but actually and and that's, I mean, that's um, that's where you've got a lot of training data. You have to have masses of training data to be able to train the, the AI to, to do something like that. But actually, what I think where AI works best is where it supports a human. So right. a good, you know, a good doctor with the backup of AI is an even better doctor. So yeah, you know, support. You know, think, think, about, think about Iron Man. Iron Man is, you know, he's not he's not real, but he's a <laughs> he's a he's a person. Yeah, and enhanced by robotics and by AI. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, that that would make a difference. Better, it doesn't replace him. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know, I think you know, that's that's where AI is going to make such a difference over the next five to ten years. So it'll automate certain processes which 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 don't need people to be involved in. Yeah. And it will it will help us. It will, will, will revolutionise uh, Medicare because there's so much of um, so much will be able to be done by 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 AIs. When you when you want to go and see a GP, you'll probably go through some AI screening process where. At the very least, they'll say, um, you could just go to the pharmacist for this or you could go to the optician for this. You don't need to come to a GP. But it might even talk about your symptoms so that they can triage and decide whether you need to be seen immediately or you can be seen. Right, okay. Yeah. I think, and and that's, that's the least of it. There'll be so many areas. I mean, if you think about how, if you think about the effect of COVID-19 crisis and the way it will change for instance, going to the shops yeah. um, and how much more online shopping there is. Well, how do you create a really good experience, um, a really personalized experience? Well, you're probably going to use AI to understand the person, you, the customer, yeah. and be able to suggest certain clothing for you or maybe direct you to the right p- place in the store because 
what they used to do was let you wander around and use images and advertising to pull you towards things. Whereas now they're going to have wider spaces, yeah, less yeah. people in the shop, so they're going to kind of want to lead you places. So yeah, I see it. I definitely see where it'll be about enhancing what we do rather than replacing us. That's for mm. sure. yeah. It's interesting. There's a company called Really Thirty Two, I think it's called, and they've got AI that's designed for flights and airports, basically for travel, and it's designed so that they've got they use your habits when you're going through the airport to figure out what you're interested in. So it might be that as you're going for the airport, you always stop for a sandwich or, or it might be that you, when you get on the flight, you like a, you like a certain, you know, you might be a vegetarian for example, and it's, it's designed so that all it sort of learns this and from this, this from your habits. And then every time you book a flight is, is automatically going to improve the whole journey for you, which is interesting. And like you say, it's kind of like online shopping. They're looking at what you do personally and then they're tailoring it towards you. It's, yeah, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, and, and in a way, I mean, it's the work that we're doing with young people. So our our goal is to make sure that every young person has a place to talk about their mental well-being and a yeah. safe place to do that. Um, and we're using artificial intelligence to do that. And um, now, right now, that means that's you know we're 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 at the beginning of that journey in terms of conversational AI. So it's very much um, you know a lot of it's driven. A lot, a lot of the content is. It's pre-written and it's delivered in certain ways. So we know that we're getting the right message across to everybody. Yeah. If we move forward through our roadmap over the next couple of years, we'll push much more to the 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 sort of natural language generation and um, how do we create personalized content for you, for how you're feeling right now, for your circumstances, and for what you need to you need to get out of this. Um, and I think I think that's and that, that that's fascinating because that is, you know, that that goal of giving every young person a safe space to talk about their well-being. That's a massive goal. Yeah, it'll be amazing to achieve, right? It'll be yeah. amazing to achieve that. And like you know, so we can we can do that in a little way right now. But the more we develop our AI, the the more the closer we get to that that kind of massive goal. Yeah, and it's data as well, isn't it? You want that data so that you can you can improve this AI so you can look at, and I think data is a lot of, basically it's all based on data, isn't it? Being able to analyze data, figure out how people actually react to certain things and then use that data to actually manipulate, well, improve the, the code. I think this is that, like data, we could talk about this all day, right? So data is fundamental to, to, to machine learning because what machine learning is doing is, in simple terms, machine learning is saying, Here's a lot of examples of, of this task, you know, the question and answer, whatever. Um, based on all of them, what do you think the answer is for Chris, right? Yeah. So you go and you look like Chris, because Chris is A, B, C, D. And if I look at all the answers for people who've got A, B, C, D, the most likely answer, like 80% of the time, the answer is this. So I'm going to give that to you. It's all based on data. And the more data yeah. you have, the better your answers. Yeah, and that's and, and you know that's that's something you know obviously we want to use we want to use data to make our answers better. But at the same time, when you're dealing with something, here's the thing, right? When you're dealing with something like that with mental well-being, it's really important that what you do is confidential and people feel safe. Yeah, so the goal to give every young person a safe place to talk about their mental well-being, and they're not going they would not feel safe doing that 
on Facebook, for instance, because Facebook are uh, you know, regularly in the press for pushing the boundary, shall we say, in terms of what they do with people's data. And I think that I think people are going to have to become much more aware of what happens to their data. They're certainly a bit more sensitive than they used to be. And so you are, you know, the use of data for good, I think I wholeheartedly approve of and support and yeah. want to support. The use of data for other things, well, I'm not sure mm. about that. And, and I think that's, that's one of the challenges that AI is going to have is that if people have control over their data and they, they start saying, well, I don't want you to use it, then, then, then we'll have a problem. I think that's unlikely, right? Because I think people, most people don't pay much attention to what they sign up for. Yeah. For instance, on, on, on Google or Facebook or, you know, or, or Amazon or whatever, they probably don't do much with their privacy settings. But, but actually, you know, they, they should. They should. Um, and we have to be very careful. I think it's about, for me, it's about ethical use of data for, for good outcomes. Yeah. And certain confidential use. So I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be taking your personal details and using them to make the answers that AliChat gives better. I would be using general anonymized information about, about a lot of users to make the answers better. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So what do you, what do you think about, so Elon Musk, I don't know if you've heard about this, he's created a thing, I think it's called Neuralink. And effectively, it's, he's, he's talking about drilling into someone's brain and putting a link in that's effectively going to almost make them, I guess, a cyborg where they're going to have, they're going to be connected through, through this link. And he said at the start, it's going to be used to help people who have got problems. For example, I think he said, if you're, someone's blind, it can help them with that. Or if they're disabled in certain ways, he thinks it's going to help. But he said in the long run, he thinks people are going to be able to communicate without even talking. It's going to get that, that advanced. And then like you say, when, how is that going to be used? I mean, AI could come into that, which could effectively manipulate how people, I mean, the, the potential there for, for security and privacy and, and everything is, what do you think of that? Do you know much about that? I don't, I don't know much about that. I'm right. I mean, honestly, I, I kind of think that Elon Musk thinks he's uh, living in Star Trek um, <laughs> or, or maybe he wants to live in Star Trek, right? Because he's, he's got these great plans. But if I had that kind of money, maybe I'd like to, own part of a you know a, a spaceship company and uh, you know uh, and, and whatever else. So can you use how how close? I mean, th- I think we we keep coming back to this thing. You started with Terminator, and um, you know, keep coming back to this your know, cyborg nature. I think I think we're a way away from it. But can you can you help people to could could you use AI to help people? Um, I think I think we can, and I don't think we need to drill into their heads to do it just yet. Right? Um, I think that you can you could use, give people tools that, that here, here's the simplest one. It's not even AI, right? Is that a spell check or a grammar check or things like that can yeah. help people who are um, dyslexic or who have, who have difficulty writing. So so they're not brilliant. I'm not saying they're in any way you're know, amazing, but. But they can help. I'm a yeah. terrible. I'm terrible at spelling, and without my spell checker, I would I would struggle. Right. So so we already have that assistance, and if we think about more ways in which we could do that, um, then you know you you can start to see some really interesting things. So so I 
I imagine over the next the next five years, you'll start to see systems that manage workplaces, by which I mean that I could imagine if you worked in a bank or, or a large organization where you would come in in the morning and the computer would be telling you, here are your tasks for the day. Here are the tasks that you need to do that make this business go quicker or yeah. get us to go faster. Yeah. Um, in the same way that I think they're already in some, in some places where they've got less desks, they've got all hot desks, got less desks than they have people. If you go in in the morning, it tells you which desk you're at. It'll tell you which desk you're at. You'll get there, you open your computer and go, right, here are the tasks you've got to do today. Yeah. Right? So m- managing people's things to do lists, but in a kind of massive integrated way. Um, and all those things are, are, are not far away. Like all those yeah. things are, are coming. And yet, in some ways, I'd love that. I'd love, okay, I would like a little bit of assistance. I'd like a PA <laughs> to kind of organize my meetings for me. And I mean, it and makes sense. Yeah. Remind me to pay the gas bill or whatever, you know? But so, so I, think those, I think those types of things are coming, drilling into my head. I don't know. Would you let someone drill into your head? Would you let Elon Musk drill into your head? This is what I found was quite interesting. So, I mean, he, they're going to start doing this soon but they're going to start off with people who have have got problems that they're going to try and solve. But um, he said within five years, he thinks they're going to be able to, it will be advanced enough in five years that people can communicate without talking. That's what he said. And um, I mean, I, to me, that sounds crazy. But at the same time, when you look at what he's done, you know, you can't really write off anything he says because he seems to, he seems to say something and it does seem to happen. So it's quite interesting to see yeah. where that goes. Yeah, I would, I don't know. Like, again, not an expert on Elon Musk, but I'm not sure I'd trust everything he said. Yeah, and no, I agree with that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you, what, so what, what's, um, I really want to know a little bit about, so when when you actually left uni, um, so I've, I've looked and you've you've had an impressive track record. You've been CEO of a few companies and you've been successful. Can you tell me a bit about that and how that happened after you left uni? Oh, God. Um. I think the thing I always say, which is which is probably unfair to people I work with, is that is that I always I was always quite ambitious in terms of getting higher up in, in businesses because I didn't really like working for idiots. Um, yeah. Although, arguably, I do work for an idiot now because I work for myself. Um, but that there's a yeah. I just I just think there's I like I like being involved in what's going on. I like to have a say in, in where we're going. And I, I mean, I definitely, one of the strong things I remember is I worked for a company called KSCL. Um, and in the internet um, bubble bursting, um, they, they went, it was, was it 2002, I think 2002, um, they went completely bust. I mean, we right. got, we didn't get paid in June, <clears throat> pardon me, and we were, there was just the, some people, some people um, administrators came in and about two days later they said, right, you, got, you basically you got an email, you either went downstairs, you were out, or you went upstairs. Right, okay. And a com- country, a, a company of hundreds of people, I think they, they kept about 20. Right. Um, and we left, we hadn't been paid, we didn't get any redundancy, nothing, we're just gone. Um, what, what did the company do? What, what, what was the company? What, what did they do? 
so they were uh, they were the first company to do telecoms billing in right. the UK. They're called KSL, and then they were called Telesense KSL. Um, and yeah, they were just a massive. They were, they were the biggest software house in in Scotland. Right. The biggest outside of the banks. They had the most developers in Scotland, uh, but they just went horribly bust. Um, and I remember thinking I never wanted to be in the position again where I had no real control over what was going on. Yeah, clearly an illusion that I have control, but but I didn't. I really didn't enjoy that. And the next job I took was was in the voluntary sector. So I was working for a, a non uh, an NGO, mm-hmm. non profit, and um, setting up a thing called Citizens Advice Direct, which is a citizen advice bureau, but delivered by telephone and by email and by um, by electronic means. And uh, we we literally started with me thirty thousand pounds and an idea, right. and. and and, and since Advice Direct still exists, it's called advice.scot. In fact, you can go to the website, advice.scot. Um, and it's a, it's a Scottish nationwide Sins Advice Bureau service. Um, and, you know, I remember, I remember um, I had, a, had an office in Glasgow and the Parkhead Sins Advice Bureau, which is like you go, you go to the east end of Glasgow and keep going up the Gallagate, um, and I would, you know, I'd be there on my own in the middle of winter, going, "What am I, what am I doing here?" <laughs> but actually, you know, we got within a year, we'd secured premises in the Merchant City. We'd recruited a hundred volunteers. We'd, uh, what was it we used to say? We would only buy things as a last resort, right? and we we begged and borrowed, and we got stuff from everywhere, and we just managed to put together this. Um, this service, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I had so much fun doing it. And I ran that, I was CEO. So it was, it was a brilliant thing to do, but it also gave me this taste of, of running something, yeah. of being in charge of something, um, which is good and bad. And, uh, and really from there, I don't think I was willing to step much further back. I mean, my next job was um, COO at, at, at Rapid Mobile, and then I became CEO of Rapid Mobile. So, so it was to go from non-profit to pro- back to profit, and then um, you know step up. So it yeah. was. So yeah, what it was do you think? Desire to 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 have control, um, and it was and it was definitely the opportunity given to me by the Citizens Advice Bureau service, which is a great great um, service. Yeah. To set something up, and I had you know I had thirty thousand pounds and a blank sheet of paper. <laughs> So, what do you think you learned from that first experience with a citizen's advice bureau? What do you think you learned from that that you've, you've, the well, main things that you learned that you've taken forward? I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote, uh, I'm gonna quote um, Gareth Williams um, from Skyscanner: persistence. Right, it's um, just being persistent goes a long, long way. You know, yeah. I work hard. I think I'm relatively smart, but just being persistent, you know, constantly believing what you're going to do. And I think there's a, I think there's a thing in there. It's like that there has to be, there's a, there's a real difference. Like you've, you've got to believe in something, right? You've got to believe yeah. in something. So at the moment, I, I absolutely believe in the importance of mental well-being for young people. In fact, for everybody. I just think it's such an important thing. 
And when I was when I was when I was working at, with with the Central Ice Bureau, you know, I would talk to you about how many people can't get to CCA Central Ice Bureaus, how difficult it is to access them, what amazing work they do, but how but they're overwhelmed. Yeah, how this service could 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 revolutionise that, and I yeah. absolutely believed in it. You know, people would tell me that you can't do this. Nobody will do it. It's inappropriate. You can't just answer simple questions. You've got to look at the whole person, understand the whole situation. And you know, we, and I, and and in the face of people telling me this would never work, I kept going. Yeah. You know, and when we, I remember, I remember we walked into my my colleague Kirsty. We walked into this this building in the Merchant City in Glasgow. It was owned by the council. And I don't think anybody had been in this, this floor of this building for like five years. And it was just an empty shell. And it was like, it was just, I mean, it was just, it was just horrible. Starting from scratch. And I was yeah. like, I was like, all right, this is what, this is, this is what, what's uh, available. And, uh, and she just looked at me and went, oh yeah, this will be amazing. Like, and that's, that's the kind of that's the kind of second little bit is that there are times when you don't believe and there are times when you're like, oh my God, yeah. what are we gonna do? Yeah. And having people around you who've got who've got energy and enthusiasm is is, is really important. Really I agree important. with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Surround yourself with people that, that, that at least share the same vision as what you do and yeah. keep 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 each other motivated throughout the yeah. so yeah. so where did you go? So, so where did you leave after that? What was the next position? So, oh my God, let's get this right. So it's probably not exactly right. Um, but I was with Telesense from 2000 to 2002, I think. And I was with, I was with the Sinsevice Direct for about three years. Um, I want to say 2005, but maybe it was 2006. And then I went to Rapid Mobile. So we were, right. we were working in mobile before mobile. Before the iPhone, basically. Right. You know, so we were doing delivering content on multiple handsets before anybody even knew that they wanted content delivered on the handset. People would say, well, why would I want to look at the news on my phone? Why would I want to look at the weather on my phone? Why would I want to have anything on my phone? And also they were, you know, they were, you know, the, the, the screens were the size of a small post-it note. Yeah. Right? You've got these, these massive screens. Now they were like these tiny little screens. I remember them. <laughs> And, and you know, we were going around telling everybody this was this was the future. Everybody would have these, and, and you know, it was amazing. And people, people would people would go, yeah, that sounds really fascinating. But yeah, nobody really uses that. No, nobody's ever going to do that. <laughs> and of course, the iPhone then came out, and yeah, everything changed. The mobile phone has changed the world faster than any piece of technology. I think. So, do you think the skills that you learned um, when you were like to go into a tech industry, do you think it was the same skills that you that you applied as a CEO that you learned before that, or did you have to again develop new skills? So I had to. I mean, the, the, the probably the the what would what would be the differences? There's a difference in industry. Not knowing our industry is really important. Yeah. So, we, you know, we were we were playing in, in advertising and content delivery. So I had to understand those industries. Um, I also had a, a development team building stuff, which I hadn't managed before. I'd, I'd had some experience of that, but not, not that much. So, so I had to learn that quite quickly. Um, 
a lot of the I mean I would I would argue that there's there's kind of there's kind of three broad areas that are the same. One is one is money, right? So getting it, keeping it, spending it, and broadly speaking, that's the same in whatever industry you are, is you you've either got it or you haven't, and you've got to manage it to look after it. There's people which you're know, recruiting people, keeping people, managing people. Again, the problems tend to be the same, but they're, yeah. they're just in different places. And the third one is about sales, uh, product and sales. And that's, that's slightly different in a, in a nonprofit, uh, particularly something like Sins of Ice Bureau, where you never had to worry about how getting, getting customers. Because yeah. there was lots of customers. What you had to worry about was getting people to pay you to service those customers because those customers didn't pay. Like people right. coming for advice, it was free. It's really important. You know, CAB is based on some principles and, and, and a couple of them are that it's free and it's impartial advice to everybody. Right? So, so, so that's slightly different, but, but, but the first two, you know, people and money, it's the same. Right, okay. So in terms of your personal um, characteristics that you brought to the table, do you think as a CEO, what do you think you, you brought that, like, what do you think are the strongest traits that you've got that helped you become successful? Um, I, I, well, you probably better ask somebody else this question. I think I'm, I'm, I am good with, I'm good with people and I'm, I'm definitely convincing. If I believe in something, I'm convincing about it. So yeah, if you if you put me up in front of an audience and get me to talk about something, I can communicate about it in a way which is accessible and in a way that's passionate. Um, and people seem to enjoy listening to me talk about things that I'm passionate about. I think that's probably that's something which is obvious and clear. I think it's important um, for a leader as well to be able to do that to be to be able yeah. to have a clear message of what they want and to be able to actually let other people know what that is so that people can get involved in that. I think it's important. Yeah. I'm also, I'm quite determined. Like, and that, that persistence, that not giving up, that, you know, how do we get to the goal? I think that is, that, that's a key trait for, for our leader as well. I think that, you know, that I hopefully balance that being um, accessible to people alongside that this is, we've got to get this done. And um, I think those, those, those two things are important. And I've, I've definitely got that determination. So how do you yeah. deal with challenges? So see if you've got a challenge, big challenge that you need to overcome. What, like, what's your process? How do you deal with it and, and get through it? Okay. So the first thing is to become aware that I've got a challenge. <laughs> Some, sometimes either we don't know or we choose to avoid that reality. And then I think... For, for me, there's, there's two things. One, understand what's going on. So I like, to, I like to use a whiteboard. I like to work things out. I like to draw them, really kind of get an idea in my head of what's going on. And then I talk to people and ask people's advice. I go and search out people who are experts in that area or people okay. that I trust um, and, and talk to them about it. And then the hardest thing, and I'm not saying I'm good at this, but, but I think this is the most important thing, is to choose what you're going to do and get on and do it. Executing, like, it's not a universal truth. It's definitely not a universal truth. But making a decision is better than making none, for sure. Um, 
and then getting on and doing and getting on and pursuing that strategy until it works or you find that it's the wrong strategy is the right thing to do. That makes sense. A lot of people say that actually, don't they? It's better to make like a decision and figure out if that's going to be the right one rather than not making any decision at all, which is just going to stress everyone out. I think one of the things that I've learned for sure is that is that I it is easy to waste a lot of time looking for perfect. Yeah. And there ain't no thing. There ain't no such thing as perfect. There isn't probably even such a thing as a right decision. As in, you know, if you have three, three, three possible things you could do, none of them are the right ones until you choose it. And once you've chosen it, then that's the right decision. But there's no way of knowing. There's no way of forecasting the future. Hmm. So when you're working with your team, so when you're building your team, and you're, you said yourself, like having people around you that, that are positive and they've got the same, same vision as you is important. But how do you choose those people and how do you find them you know, when you're trying to build this team? I think you... I think you, you, um, you, you, you look carefully. You spend time. I mean, that's the, that's the truth of it. It's not easy and you can't know for sure this idea you could know within 10 seconds some walking through the door, I just don't believe that. Mm. I think people retrofit the truth to those, those decisions. Um, I like this. Uh, one of my colleagues said something to me recently. He was talking about um, uh, a, probably a podcast he'd listened to where they were talking to a Navy SEAL about how they choose the team for a mission. And this Navy SEAL was saying, we don't choose... We don't always choose the best people, the most skilled people. Basically, what we do is we want to. We've got we, we've got two like um, axes we, we judge people by. One is how good are they at the job, and the other one is how much do we trust them. Okay. And you would much prefer to be on a mission with someone who was not the best at the job but good at it, but who you absolutely trusted, because you're trusting people with your life when you're out there. And so, you know, that's the, by far the most important thing. And I'm not saying by any stretch recruitment is similar to going on Navy SEAL missions. But I quite like that analogy of, you know, often it's better to have somebody that you truly trust and who is on board yeah. than someone who's outstandingly the best but is really difficult or, or you maybe don't trust. So like understanding their values and yeah. understanding what's driving them potentially as well. I suppose it's like, there's a, there's a good book called it's Legends. It's about the All Blacks and how they choose players. And a lot of it's based on like, the character of, of the player more than how good they are. So yeah. when they're choosing them early on, they're not, they're not just looking at how much talent they've got. They're actually looking deeper than that to say, well, what's the character of this person? Is this the sort of person that will help clean up the, the change room after the game? And that's what they're looking for. Someone that's going to work in a team um, and is going to be contributing towards a team and you know, I wouldn't say self-sacrificing, but, you know, not, not just thinking about themselves, trying to actually make sure that they're going to achieve the goal that they're set out to achieve. And I think that's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think you're totally, I think you're, I, I really like what you say. You probably say it more eloquently than I did. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, you're looking at the persons, the people that you're working with. Will they, you know, it's a, it's a sad place to be, to be the only person in the office working really hard towards a goal. Yeah. You want to, you want, you want, you want to know the people around you. The same if you play any sport, and and you, you want to look around 
the the field and see people who are making an effort as much yeah. as an effort as you are and who yeah. back you up when you need them to. And that, that's really it. It's really simple, right? Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, yeah. So when what? Well, one thing I'm always interested in is, have you made any mistakes that you think other people can learn from? Um, you know, some mistakes that you would avoid if if you could now. But looking back at it, anything that you might have done that you think someone else could learn from if they knew in advance that, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this because this could happen if you're going to start a business or if you want to run a company or be successful. Oh my God, so many. I mean, so many. And let's not, I don't think I could bear to tell you them all. We don't have the time, but I think being indecisive is, 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 uh, is a big mistake and I've definitely done that on occasion so you've got to decide what to do you've got you've got to choose to do it and um, being quite I'm, I'm being willing to the tough the hardest thing about being a CEO is if, if you've got if you've got to downsize a business or you've got to cut costs to save money because particularly as an entrepreneur you've got this idea of cash runway and burn rate so you're not making you're not making profit, so you're all all the time money's coming out of the company. So you've got to you've got to make sure that can last as long as it can. And and and, and it's you know, making decisions about that are the hardest to make. Yeah. You might be making people redundant, you might be um, not recruiting people, um, and yeah, that those are tough decisions to make. And I think that you have to be quite radical about that. So so there's about there's one about Making tough choices, I'm just yeah. willing to do that. Um, and I think being decisive, I think I've I've made that mistake a few times. Um, so how much time would you give yourself if you were, if you had a decision to make? What do you think is a reasonable amount of time to give yourself to, to make a decision? Would you set a deadline for making a decision, or would you just try and make it as fast as you could? I think that more and more these days. I will deal with things as they come onto my desk. So ideally, ideally things come on my desk, I deal with them and they go. Right. Those are low-level things. If you're talking about restructuring a company, you know, you want you want to give it a bit of time, but I can't I can't judge it. It just depends what it is. Because if yeah. you are, if you are, say you're trying to decide the price for your service, you kind of go right. I think it's this, and then you might go and look at what other people's. Say it's a gym, it's a new gym, that's a good example. You might go and say, what do other gyms charge? Right, okay, fair enough. But then the next question should be, well, what would make you change your gym membership? Like, how much do I have to give away? To, to make sense? So it's, there's a bunch of questions and you have to do research. So some things you have to do quite a lot of research on. And other things you, you, you can do quite quickly. But but give it give it time, but don't give it too much time. Don't overcook it. Yeah, That, that is for sure. The other thing is, is about sales and markets is that you need to, well, I'll, I'll tell you two things. One is, one is you've got to qualify people you're selling to. We were talking about this at the beginning, I think, about the second best answer in business is a quick no. So yeah, really easy to get caught up, particularly as a startup. You've got this new product, you love it. You're talking to people and they're like, oh yeah, we love what you do. The next question is, would you buy it? How much would you buy it for? Have you got the money to buy it? Are you the person that makes the decision to buy it? 
and a whole bunch of other questions, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you need to know if they're interested or not. Because otherwise, you're having a nice conversation and you're wasting your time. Yeah. So get getting to that really quickly, and and all, and and the kind of probably That's the third point. one. The third one I'll give you is if you're if you're creating new services, make sure they change people's lives, because I, I think I said mobile has changed mobile technology has changed the world faster than any other in, in history, but it's also got a dirty secret. Most apps are deleted within ninety days, never used. Yeah. Chucked, chucked off your phone, right? Or they're, or they're left on your phone and you just don't use them. And that's because they don't change people's lives. They don't do things which are significantly, make enough of a difference to your life that means that you engage with them. Um, and point. I think that as entrepreneurs, we can get too attached to what we do and, uh, and believe that it changes people's lives when it doesn't. And yeah. the answer to that is user testing, user testing and more user testing and listen to your users, understand what, understand what it is that they like about what you do. There's, some, there's, there's lots of great examples of companies that have gone through that process. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you want people to really engage, like you say, that makes sense. It has to change your life because there's so yeah. many options, there's so many other apps out there now. It needs to, yeah. I mean, so the app you're working on just now, I mean, that sounds fantastic and it's working with mental health. Where did the idea come from? So the, the, um, the idea came from a group of young people um, in Sterling. Um, they were asked, it was part of the CivTech um, uh, Accelerators Challenge program. Right. And the question was, how do you start conversations with young people about mental health? Um, sub, sub, uh, and your, and the, the, the subtitle would be, because young people feel judged and worry about the stigma of mental health and yeah. don't feel that the information available is, is relevant to them. And so starting with talking by talking to the, the, the young people, it's clear, a couple of things were clear. One was they spent a lot of time on their phone. They used Instagram, they used Snapchat, they liked images, they liked videos, they liked text. Um, and the other one was that they didn't really want to have to go and talk to somebody initially when they were experiencing a difficult feeling. Um, and so our, our response to that was to create an art conversational AI that, that could talk about some, some straightforward stuff around anxiety, stress, sleep, sadness, et cetera. Um, and do it in a way which engaged young people so through images, through text, and through the use of video. Yeah. Um, and then worked with them over time to develop that and to develop the way that it, it, it worked and, um, and tested it with them. And that's, you know, that's where it came from, was really their, their request and their, their willingness to work with us to co-create what we were doing. That's a great idea because you're building it for them almost. For, you know, so they're involved in it, but it's gonna, you know it's going to be relevant because they're yeah. at that age. That's a great idea, yeah. Okay, great idea. So, and so how has it been developing? How has it been? It's been going well. We, uh, we, um, we started it, so, so we're working with the young people last year. We, we got to the beginning of this year with our, our product. Um, and we, we, are, we are working with Scottish government, talking um, to roll out to young people in schools, particularly around exam stress. Really, uh, really interesting project. But of course, yeah. a couple of months into this year, COVID-19 blew up. Um, 
and all of a sudden a lot of young people well, all young people young people in schools don't have exams for the first time ever um, and they can't go to school right and so the landscape has changed and what we're working on now is or what we're we're just about to launch is is our version of iChat except changed for the reality of COVID-19. So okay. about, that's a great idea. Not about exam stress, but about stress, not about social anxiety, but about anxiety and about, you know, isolation and change and, and the difficulty of living in the world that we live in right now. Because here's, here's the horrible, horrible truth is that this, th- this is a generation defining um, event that this, the, this, you know, not only does this stop young people having exams now, but this will affect their lives for years to come. You know, it's going to affect what universities people get into. It's going to affect how they go to university next year. It's going to affect the job market. Um, particularly, you know, a lot of young people, whether they're in, in education or, or, or not, work in the hospitality sector, and all those jobs are, are disappearing thick and fast. Um, or in retail, and again, with shops to close the moment. So the impact of this is going to be massive. Yeah. So our mission is not about, is no longer about helping young people with their exams this year. Our mission is about helping young people ongoing. Yeah, no, it's a great cause. So talking about fear and anxiety, as a CEO, how do you deal with, with that? So if you, you know, I presume that there must be times when you feel anxious and especially when you've got tough decisions to make, um, can you give me an example of how you would deal with that and maybe give me an example of a time when you've been under a lot of pressure and, and had to deal with it? Um, I, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a boring example, but I'll, I'll explain for it. So I, I, I started uh, practicing mindfulness six years ago, something like that. So it's, it's, it's meditation-based, but it's, um, mindfulness really about, is about being aware of what's going on at any given time and accepting what it is, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, um, living in um, the moment, isn't it? Mindfulness as well. Sorry? It's like living in the moment, mindfulness. Is that right? I mean, I mean, it is. It's about being present. So it's about noticing what's happening right now, accepting yeah. it and finding ways to soothe, soothe that, that feeling. Um, and it very definitely is. It's about, because the problem is most of our time we, we live in worrying about what we did or didn't do or worrying about what we're going to or not going to do. Yeah. We're stuck between the, the, the future and the past and we're not living right now. Kung Fu Panda says it a lot better, um, but you, you can, you, that, that's the basis of it. And about six, seven years ago, I started practicing that. And I find that really useful because it gives me a kind of, in the same way as going to the gym for you lets you understand how physically fit you are, my daily meditation practice makes me understand how mentally fit I am, whether yeah. I'm agitated, happy, sad, you know, lonely, whatever, but I can notice that. And so I use those tools a lot. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, if I've got a difficult meeting or if I've got something difficult to decision to make, I'll take some time, find a quiet corner and just sit and breathe and, you know, yeah. kind of ground myself a little, a little bit. It's almost um, like an anchor as well, I suppose, like an NLP. You know, that's your anchor. Put yourself in that calm state and then yeah. get yourself prepared for, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so, so things like that. And, and a, really, a real example is um, I, was, I was writing a funding application, a big funding application, um, and I was 
I was doing, I was basically solidly doing it, but I use a thing called um, Be Focused, which is like a 25-minute timer. 25 minutes work, five minutes yeah. stop. I use that. But what I was doing was, because I had to get this done, but what I was doing was I was doing 25 minutes work, 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 and I was doing five minutes meditation, just stopping and breathing. Right. Or going outside and standing outside, I've got a little balcony, and breathing in the fresh air. But five minutes of, of sort of mindfulness, I guess yeah. five minutes of work. Um, and for that period of really fast, hard work, it worked, right? It, it, yeah. it helped. I yeah. I don't. I'm, it's not. It's not a perfect use of mindfulness because I'm really using it to work very, very hard. But but it kind of helped. I think just generally having a mindfulness practice, or a, I mean, I would encourage anybody, you know, spend five minutes a day on your mental health. Yeah. Spend, and that's you know you can and, and listen. You could do it whilst you're brushing your teeth. You could do it whilst you're eating your breakfast. But just spend some time not engaging with anything else and just. You know, I, I would say using your breath just as a little guy to sort of, to just to, just to stop yourself, think, not stop yourself thinking, you can't really do that, but, but do approximately nothing. Approximately nothing with your mind. Get approximate to that. Five minutes a day, I think it would make a difference to everybody. Your house is on fire. Someone that you care about is stuck inside. What do you do? I, I well... Number one, I phone the I phone the fire brigade. <laughs> obviously, um, if I can rescue them, I'll rescue them. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Excellent. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks very much. <laughs> I don't know what that, what does that say about me. <laughs> <laughs>